0: Chapter eleven of the Pirates of Her This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pirates of Ersats by Murray Leinster. Chapter eleven. There was a disturbing air which was shared by all the members of Hodan's crew on the way to Walden. It was not exactly reluctance, because there was a self-evident enthusiasm over the idea of making a pirate voyage under him. So far as past enterprises were concerned, Hodan, as a leader, was the answer to a Darthian gentleman's prayer. The partial looting of Gex Castle alone would have made him a desirable leader, but a crew of seven returned from space had displayed currency which amounted to the wealth of fabled ind. Nobody knew what ind was any longer, but it was a synonym for fabulous and uncountable riches. When men went off with Hoddan, they came back rich. But nevertheless, there was an uncomfortable sort of atmosphere in the removed yacht they transshipped shipped from the spaceboat to the yacht through lifeboat tubes, and they were quite docile about it because none of them knew how to get back to ground. Hoddan left the spaceboat with a triggerable timing signal set for use on his return. He'd done a similar thing off-crim. He drove the little yacht well out, until Darth was only a spotted ball with visible clouds and ice caps. Then he lined up for Walden, direct, and went into overdrive. Within hours he noted the disturbing feel of things. His followers were not happy. They moped. They sat in corners and submerged themselves in misery. Large, massive men with drooping blond mustaches, ideal characters for the roles of pirates, tended to squeeze tears out of their eyes at odd moments. When the ship was twelve hours on its way, the atmosphere inside it was funereal. The spearmen did not even gorge themselves on the food with which the yacht was stocked. And when a Darthian gentleman lost his appetite, something had to be wrong." He called Thal into the control room. "'What's the matter with the gang?' he demanded vexedly. "'They look at me as if I'd broken all their hearts. Do they want to go back?' Thal heaved a sigh, indicating depression, besides which suicidal mania would be hilarity. He said pathetically, "'We cannot go back. We cannot ever return to Darth we are lost men doomed to wander forever among strangers or to float as corpses between the stars what happened demanded hoddan i'm taking you on a pirate cruise where the loot should be a lot better than last time thal wept hoddan astonishedly regarded his whiskery countenance contorted with grief and dampened with tears it happened at the castle said thal miserably the men derek from walden had thrown a bomb at you you seem to be dead, but Don Loris was not sure. He fretted as he does. He wished to send someone to make sure. The Lady Fani said, "I will make sure." She called me to her and said, Tal, will you fight for me?" And there was Don Loris suddenly nodding beside her. So I said, "Yes, my Lady Fani." Then she said, "Thank you. I am troubled by Bran Hodan." So what could I do? She said the same thing to each of us, and each of us had to say that he would fight for her to eat she said that she was troubled by you then don loris sent us out to look at your body and now we are disgraced hoddan's mouth opened and closed again he remembered this item of darthian etiquette if a girl asked a man if he would fight for her and he agreed then within a day and a night he had to fight the man she sent him to fight or else he was disgraced and disgrace on darth meant that the shamed man could be plundered or killed by anybody who chose to do so but he would be hanged by indignant authority if he resisted. It was a great deal worse than outlawry. It included scorn and contempt and abroprium. It meant dishonor and humiliation and admitted degradation. A disgraced man was despicable in his own eyes, and Hoddan had kidnapped these men who'd been forced to engage themselves to fight him. And if they killed him, they would obviously die in space, and if they didn't, they'd be ashamed to stay alive. The moral tone on Darth was probably not elevated, but etiquette was a force. Hoddan thought it over. He looked up suddenly. "'Some of them,' he said wryly, "'probably figure there's nothing to do but go through with it, huh?' "'Yes,' said Dal dismally. "'Then we will all die.' "'Hmm,' said Hoddan. "'The obligation is to fight. If you fail to kill me, that's not your fault, is it? If you're conquered, you're in the clear?' Thal said miserably, True to true, true, when a man is conquered, he is conquered. His conqueror may plunder him when the matter is finished, or he can spare him, then he may never fight his conqueror again. Draw your knife, said Hoddan. Come at me. Thal bewilderedly made the gesture. Hoddan leveled a stun-pistol and said, "Bzzed! You're conquered. You came at me with your knife, and I shot you with my stun-pistol. It's all over, right? Thal gaped at him. Then he beamed. He expanded. He gloated. He frisked. He practically wagged a non-existent tail in his exuberance. He'd been shown and out when he could see none. "'Send in the others, one by one,' said Hoddan. "'I'll take care of them. But Thal—' "'Why did the Lady Fani want me killed?' "'Thal had no idea, but he did not care. Hoddan did care. He was bewildered and inclined to be indignant. A noble friendship like theirs, a spearman, came in and saluted. Hoddan went through a symbolic duel, which was plainly the way the thing would have happened in reality. Others came in and went through the same process. Two of them did not quite grasp that it was a ritual, and he had to shoot them in the knife arm. Then he hunted in the ship's supplies for ointment for the blisters that would appear from stun-pistol bolts at such short range. As he bandaged the places, he again tried to find out why the Lady Fani had tried to get him carved up by the large bladed knives all Darthian gentlemen wore, but nobody could enlighten him but the atmosphere improved remarkably. Since each theoretic fight had taken place in private, nobody was obliged to admit a compromise with etiquette. Hoddan's followers ceased to brood. They developed huge appetites. Those who had been aground on Krim told zestfully of the monstrous hangovers they'd acquired there. It appeared that Hoddan was revered for the size of the benders he enabled his followers to hang on. But there remained the fact that the Lady Fani had tried to get him massacred he puzzled over it the little yacht sped through space toward walden he tried to think how he defended fanny he could think of nothing he set to work on a new electronic setup which would make still another modification of the lawler space drive possible in the others groups of electronic components were cut out and others substituted in rather tricky fashion from the control board this was trickiest of all it required the homemade vacuum tube to burn steadily when in use but it was a very simple idea. Lawlor drive and landing-grid force fields were formed by not dissimilar generators, and ball-lightning force fields were in the same general family of phenomena. Suppose one made the field generator that had to be on a ship, if it was to drive at all, capable of all those allied, associated, similar force fields. If a ship could make the fields that landing-grids did, it should be useful to pirates. Hoddan's present errand was neither pure nor simple piracy, but piracy it would be. The more he considered the obligation he'd taken on himself when he helped the emigrant fleet, the more he doubted that he could lift it without long struggle. He was preparing to carry on that struggle for a long time. He'd more or less resigned himself to the postponement of his personal desires. Netta, for example. He wasn't quite sure. Perhaps after all— But time passed and he finished his electronic job. He came out of overdrive and made his observations and corrected his course. Finally there came a moment when the fiery ball, which was Walden's sun, shone brightly in the vision plates. It writhed and spun in the vast silence of emptiness. Hoddan drove to a point still above the five-diameter limit of Walden. He interestedly switched on the control which made his drive-unit manufacture landing grid type force-fields. He groped for Walden and felt the peculiar rigidity of the ship when the field took hold somewhere underground. He made an adjustment, and felt the ship respond. Instead of pulling ship to ground, in the setup he'd made, the new force fields pulled the ground toward the ship. When he reversed the adjustment, instead of pushing the ship away to empty space, the new field pushed the planet. There was no practical difference, of course. The effect was simply that the space yacht now carried its own landing grid. It could descend anywhere and ascend from anywhere, without using rockets. Moreover, it could hover without using power. Hoddan was pleased. He took the yacht down to a bare four hundred-mile altitude. He stopped it there. It was highly satisfactory. He made quite certain that everything worked as it should. Then he made a call on the space communicator. "'Calling ground,' said Hoddan. "'Calling ground. Pirate ship calling ground.' he waited for an answer. Now he'd find out the result of very much effort and planning. He was apprehensive, of course. There was much responsibility on his shoulders. There was the liner he'd captured and looted and given to the emigrants. There were his followers on the yacht, now enthusiastically sharpening their two-foot knife blades in expectation of loot. He owed these people something. For an instant he thought of the Lady Fanny and wondered how he could make reparation to her for whatever had hurt her feelings so she tried to get his throat cut. A whining, bitterly unhappy voice came to him. "'Pirate ship,' said the voice plaintively. "'We've received the fleet's warning. Please state where you intend to descend, and we will take measures to prevent disorder. Repeat, please state where you are intend to descend, and we will take measures to prevent disorder.' Hoddan drew a sharp breath of relief. He named a spot, a high-income residential small city some forty miles from the planetary capital. He set his controls for a very gradual descent. He went out to where his followers made grisly zinging noises where they honed their knives. "'We'll land,' said Hoddan sternly, "'in about three-quarters of an hour. You will go ashore and loot in parties of not less than three. Thal, you will be shipguard and receive the plunder and make sure nobody from Walden gets on board. You will not waste time committing atrocities on the population.' He went back to the control room. He turned to general communication bands and listened to the broadcast down below. Special emergency bulletin, boomed a voice. Pirates are landing in the city of Ensfield, 40 miles from Walden City. The population is instructed to evacuate immediately, leaving all action to the police. Repeat, the population will evacuate Ensfield, leaving all action to the police. Take nothing with you. Take nothing with you. Leave at once. Hoddan nodded approvingly. The voice boomed again. Special emergency bulletin! Pirates are landing! Evacuate! Take nothing with you! Leave at once! He turned to another channel. An excited voice barked. Seems to be the only one pirate ship which has been located hovering in an unknown manner over Ensfield. We are rushing camera crews to the spot and will try to give on-the-spot-as-it-happens coverage of the landing of pirates on Walden their looting of the city of Ensfield and the traffic jams inevitable in the departure of the citizens before the pirate ship touches ground. For background information on this most exciting event in planetary history, I take you to our editorial rooms.' Another voice took over instantly. "'It will be remembered that some days since the gigantic pirate fleet then overhead sent down a communication to the planetary government, warning that single ships would appear to loot, and giving notice that any resistance Hoddan felt a contented, heartwarming glow. The emigrant fleet had most faithfully carried out its leader's promise to let down a letter from space while in orbit around Walden. The emigrants, of course, did not know the contents of the letter. They would not send anybody down to ground, because of the temptations to sin in societies other than their own. Blithely and cheerfully and dutifully, they would give the appearance of monstrous piratical strength. They would awe Walden thoroughly. And then they'd go on, faithfully leaving similar letters and similar impressions on Krim, and Lohala, and Tralee, and Famagusta, and throughout the coal-sack stars until the stock of addressed missives ran out. They would perform this kindly act out of gratitude to Hoddan and every other planet they visited would be left with the impression that the fleet overhead was that of bloodthirsty space marauders who would presently send single ships to collect loot which must be yielded without resistance such looting expeditions were to be looked for regularly and must be submitted to under penalty of unthinkable retribution from the monster fleet of space now as the yacht descended on walden it represented that mythical but impressive piratical empire of Hoddan's contrivance. He listened with genuine pleasure to the broadcasts. When low enough, he even picked up the pictures of highways thronged with fugitives from the to-be-looted town. He saw Waldenian police directing the traffic of flight. He saw other traffic heading toward the city. Walden was the most highly civilized planet in the Nermi Cluster and its citizens had no worries at all except about tranquilizers to enable them to stand it. When something genuinely exciting turned up, they wanted to be there to see it. The yacht descended below the clouds. Hoddan turned on an emergency flare to make a landing by. Sitting in the control room, he saw his own ship as the broadcast cameras picked it up and relayed it to millions of homes. He was impressed. It was a glaring eye of fierce light, descending deliberately with a dark and mysterious spacecraft behind it. He heard the chattered, on-the-spot news accounts of the happening. He saw the people who had not left Ensfield joined by avid visitors. He saw all of them held back by police, who frantically shepherded them away from the area in which the pirates should begin their horrid work. Hoddan even watched pleasurably from his control room as the broadcast cameras daringly showed the actual touchdown of the ship the dramatic slow opening of its entrance port the appearance of authentic pirates in the opening armed to the teeth bristling ferociously glaring about them at hair silent hair deserted streets of the city left to their mercy it was a splendid broadcast hoddan would have liked to stay and watch all of it but he had work to do he had to supervise the piratical raid it was as it turned out simple enough looting parties of three pirates each moved skulking about seeking plunder Quaking cameramen dared to ask them in shaking voices to pose for the news cameras. It was a request no Darthian gentleman, even in an act of piracy, could possibly refuse. They posed, making pictures of malignant ruffianism. Commentators, adding informed comment to delectably thrilling pictures, observed that the pirates wore Darthian costume, but observed crisply that this did not mean that Darth as an entity had turned pirate, but only that some of her citizens had joined the pirate fleet. The camera crews then asked apologetically if they would permit themselves to be broadcast in the act of looting. Growling savagely for the public and occasionally adding a fiendish, ha, they obliged. The camera crews helped pick out good places to loot for the sake of good pictures. The pirates cooperated in fine dramatic style. Millions watching vision sets all over the planet shivered in delicious horror as the pirates went about their nefarious enterprise. Presently, the press of onlookers could not be held back by the police. They surrounded the pirates. Some, greatly daring, asked for autographs. Girls watched them with round, frightened, fascinated eyes. Younger men found it vastly thrilling to carry burdens of loot back to the pirate ship for them. Thal complained hoarsely that the ship was getting overloaded. Hoddan ordered greater discrimination, but his pirates by this time were in the position of directors rather than looters themselves. Romantic Waldinian admirers smashed windows and brought them treasure for the reward of scowling acceptance. Hoddan had to call it off. The pirate ship was loaded. It was then the center of an agitated, excited, enthusiastic crowd. He called back his men. One party of three did not return. He took two others and fought his way through the mob. He found the trio backed against a wall while hysterically adoring girls struggled to seize scraps of their garments for mementos of real live pirates looting a Waldinian town. But Hoddan got them back to the ship, in confusion tending toward the blushful. Their clothes were shreds. He fought a way clear for them to get into the ship. He fought his way in. Cheers rose from the onlookers. He got the landing port shut only by the help of police who kept pirate fans from having their fingers caught in its closing. Then the piratical space-yacht rose swiftly toward the stars. An hour later, there was barely any diminution of the excitement inside the ship. Dorothy and gentlemen all, Hoddan's followers still gazed and floated over the plundered, tucked everywhere. It crowded the living quarters. It threatened to interfere with the astrogation of the ship. Hoddan came out of the control room and was annoyed. "'Break it up!' he snapped. "'Pack that stuff away somewhere. What do you think this is?' thal gazed at him abstractedly not quite able to tear his mind and thoughts from this completely unimaginable mass of plunder then intelligence came into his eyes as much as could appear there he grinned suddenly he slapped his thigh boys he gurgled he don't know what we got for him one man looked up two they beamed they got to their feet dripping jewelry thal went ponderously to one of the two owners staterooms the yacht contained at the door he turned, expansively. "'She came to the port,' he said exuberantly. "'And said we were wearing clothes like they were on Darth. Did we come from there? I said we did. Then she said, "'Did we know somebody named Bron Hoddan on Darth?' And I said we did. And if she'd step inside the ship, she'd meet you. And here she is.' He unfastened the stateroom door, which had been barred from without. He opened it he looked in and grabbed and pulled at something. Hoddan went sick with apprehension. He groaned as the something inside the stateroom sobbed and yielded. Thal brought Nedda out into the saloon of the yacht. Her nose and eyes were red from terrified weeping. She gazed about her in purest, despairing horror. She did not see Hoddan for a moment. Her eyes were filled with the brawny, mustachioed, piratical figures who were Darthian gentlemen and who grinned at her in what she took for evil gloating. She wailed. Hoddan swallowed, with much difficulty, and said sickly, It's all right, Netta. It was a mistake. Nothing will happen to you. You're quite— And he knew, that with desperate certainty, that it was true. Safe with me. And she was. End of Chapter 11